morning, friends. I want to say welcome to Vernonia Church and our online teaching time. I'm so glad that you're here. My name is Sam. I'm the pastor here at Vernonia Church, and uh, it's my privilege to share with you today as we dive into God's Word together. In just a few moments, we're going to begin a brand new teaching series where we're going to talk about why we call Jesus Lord. You know, I want to I want to start really early, working towards Christmas this year. I want to dive in, and even before. Thanksgiving, we're going to start thinking about this Jesus we call Lord and the Christmas story. And I'm hoping that by the time we're done, we've moved into a place where we all feel good about calling Jesus our Lord and celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be a great day. We're going to begin with a teaching about the truth about Jesus. And I'm looking forward to diving in. Hey, before we do, I want to encourage you to to make sure that you're liking and subscribing. I want to say welcome to all of you who are on Facebook and YouTube and on our podcast and, and those of you who are at our website. I want to say welcome to all of you. So glad that you're here. I want to encourage you though, while you're there, uh, make sure that you're liking, you're subscribing, make sure you hit that sub notification bell so that you can be alerted when new messages come out. If it's available on the platform you're on, make sure you're commenting, make sure that you're uh, leaving a, a review, five-star review for the channel, a five-star review for the messages. Uh, it would really help us as we try to expand our outreach, as we try to, to help this online uh, teaching time grow here from Vernonia Church. So I just want to encourage you to be doing all those things, and I really want to encourage you, if this is a message that helps you today or encourages you, and you you think it would be helpful for someone else, be sure to share it with them. Maybe send it in a private message, send them the link, uh, maybe post it, uh, do whatever you can do to share this message today. And so with all that said, I want to invite you to pray with me. I'd love to be praying for you. I know a lot of you that are joining us online, you have a lot of things going on in your life and you have some prayer requests that you've asked prayers for. And so I just want to be praying for you today and want to invite you to pray with me. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, I just come before you right now and God, I want to pray for all the people who are joining us here. Uh, I want to pray for those who are joining us here. They're in Vernonia. God, I pray that you would bless them. I pray that you would uh, help and encourage and 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 lift them up today. God, I want to pray for those who are joining us who are outside of our of our normal outreach, people all over the states and people in Canada and, and in different countries that are joining us right now. God, I pray that you would bless them too. God, I ask that you would just encourage us today. Help us to understand the truth of Jesus, that that faith in Jesus, that that following you is something we can do with confidence, that, that we can do it knowing that, God, you have... You, you have done all you can to give us a good, solid reason to have faith. And I pray today that, that the truth of Jesus, who is the truth, would come out. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Everybody said together, amen. So you're typing amen, you're, 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 you're saying amen, and you're just joining us as we, uh, as, as we say to God, we want this to happen. So I uh, want to invite you, just let's get started, let's dive into this message this morning. Uh, I want to begin working our way into the Christmas season with a series about uh, how, how, why we call Jesus Lord. Uh, you know, we call him Lord, and it's almost ironic to think that as we worship him, we're coming to a season where we're going to celebrate this baby that was born, and yet we call him Lord. We, we call him God. Uh, we, we understand he was God in the flesh, but why do we call him Lord? Why do we worship this baby who was born? Why do we call this man who grew up, who was crucified? Why do we call him Lord? 
Lord? And, and that's going to be sort of the question. That's going to be the thought that we, that we kind of camp out in as we lead ourselves and lead our hearts towards the Christmas season. And, uh, and I'm hoping that when we're done, you will feel confident in Jesus as your Lord, that you will feel lifted up and that you will feel stronger in holding on to Jesus as your Lord, that you will walk away feeling forgiven, feeling saved, feeling loved, that you will walk away feeling blessed by this Jesus who you call Lord. Well, I want to dive in and, and begin by talking about uh, how, how we can know the truth of Jesus. You know, sometimes when it comes to knowing about something or feeling confident about something, uh, we, we can feel unsure until we know more about it. Have you ever had something that you were just not quite sure about it, but uh, once you knew more, once you experienced more, once you maybe got started, you understood it more. Now, growing up, I knew nothing about gardening. I, I didn't do a lot of gardening. I didn't spend a lot of time in a garden. My mom had a little garden and she did some gardening, but I had no interest in it. I, I didn't understand it. Uh, I thought it was a, a slow, a boring thing to do. It didn't look like much fun at all. And it wasn't until I was an adult and I was married and I lived out here in Oregon that I really decided I wanted to be interested in gardening and I wanted to learn how to do it. I thought maybe growing some of your own food would be tasty. Now, I, I wasn't <laughs> very successful when I started. In fact, I was a complete failure. I decided to try it. I decided to dive in. So I found some property on, on my land that I was living on. I, I had it tilled. I planted a bunch of seeds and I, I got stuff started. And that garden that year completely died. I don't even think anything in that lived. I don't think any of the seeds sprouted. Uh, what what plants I did put in as starts. They ended up dying. I was a complete failure. I didn't understand much. But then I decided, well, I'm not going to give up on this thing. I want to learn about it. So I began to read about it. I began to study about it. I got books about gardening. I asked questions of people who were gardeners in the area. And uh, all of a sudden, I discovered that the next year, I did a little better. And then the next year, I did a little better. And the next year, I did a little better. And it's almost daunting to me to think of the idea of starting from scratch uh, again, you know, going back and starting over. It just seems like something that would be a little, uh, a little overwhelming. And so sometimes we do stuff and, and it's something that we don't quite understand, but the more we do it, the more we look into it, the more we learn about it, the more we will understand, uh, we will understand it, the better we'll be at it. You know, if, uh, a year later, I, I, or a couple a couple years later, I heard that they were doing a master gardener class that the one of the colleges here was doing, and, and they did it right here in town. And so I thought, well, what better place to learn about gardening than taking a master gardener class? And, and I took the class, and I ended up taking it again and again. And it was like 12 weeks of, of learning about gardening. And man, my mind was blown. I learned all kinds of stuff. And now I have this little badge that says I'm a master gardener, but uh, I don't know about master and I still make mistakes and and I still do things but uh, but man what a difference between when I didn't know anything to where I, I do know what I'm doing now I feel confident now and, and and you can think of all kinds of things that maybe you did and you started off you didn't really know about and you were unsure until you put some time in maybe it was riding a bike if you think back to when you first rode a bike it was a scary thing but then you did it and you were all right maybe you fell you got up and and you kept riding and it, it went okay maybe when you first learned to swim and, and and you got in the water you were apprehensive you were scared but then you learned to swim and and you're okay with it. Or maybe it was when you uh, tried to work on a vehicle for the first time. Or maybe it was when you started a, a new job. Or or you started hunting. Or, or the first time you had to to skin and, and, and gut an elk. Or whatever it is that you did for the first time. It was it was something sort of uh, uncomfortable. Something that, uh, th that you didn't really feel good about until you did it. And now you know what you're doing. Well, that's going to be sort of the deal when it comes to what we're going to start working on this morning as we talk about Jesus as Lord. Uh, Jesus 
is celebrated as Lord. We celebrate this baby who was born. We celebrate the story of the gospel and, and how the incarnation of God as he put skin on, came to dwell among us, became one of us, gave his life for us so that we might be forgiven. I mean, the whole gospel story, it's one of those things that until you spend a little more time in it, it, it can be hard to understand. It can seem like it's kind of big. It, it can seem like there's a lot of things we might be uncomfortable with. I mean, all the miracles and all the all the crazy things Jesus did, and at least the things that they say he did, and it, it could be something that's hard to understand. And it was that way for a man named Theophilus. As we as we begin this study, we're going to start looking at the book of Luke today. And the book of Luke is going to come to us by way of this man named Theophilus who asked Luke, who probably underwrote Luke, going out and researching for him, finding all the answers for him, uh, and filling in all the blanks that he was uncomfortable with. It looks like Theophilus was a guy who was, uh, he was kind of on the verge of deciding to believe and follow Jesus and to call Jesus Lord, but he was unsure. He wasn't quite sure about it, so he has Luke do a whole bunch of investigating for him. He has Luke go out and, and interview people. He has Luke put together this book we know of as the book of Luke. And I want to start looking at the book of Luke with the very first verses, and it says this. Luke writes, he says, many people have set out to write accounts of about the events that had been fulfilled among us, the events uh, about Jesus. They used the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most honorable Theophilus, so you can be certain of the truth of everything I have taught. Now, Luke's gospel will be... Uh, will be one of the four books that will tell us about the story and the life and the coming of Jesus Christ. And, and Luke's will be a little different because Luke's message will be a book to answer a seeker's questions. He's going to look to try to fulfill in the blanks for Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, his name means a lover of God. Uh, this book that Luke writes, he addresses it to Theophilus. And uh, unlike the other gospels, he seems to address it to one particular person, but I think in addressing it to him, he sort of addresses it to us all. I'll, I'll come back to that thought in just a minute. But Luke will write two books. He'll, he'll write the book of Luke and then the book of Acts. It will be sort of like Luke part two. And he will write these books so that Theophilus can know the truth of everything leading up to what Theophilus has heard. He will write it so that Theophilus can come to know the truth and, and come to a place where he can be certain of the truth of the gospel message, which is good for us because it does the same thing for us. Now, Theophilus's name, it means lover of God, and there are some people that think maybe Luke wrote to Theophilus and basically was addressing the book to anyone who's a lover of God, which I do think that's sort of a secondary purpose of what happens here, but I do think there was a man who was named Theophilus, who Luke was specifically writing to, writing for, and writing uh, on behalf of. He, he was writing for Theophilus. Now, Theophilus, it's a Greek name. It's a, it could be a Greek title. It could be a proper name. Uh, we don't really know exactly who this Theophilus was, but he was a lover of God, and it seems like he was seeking. It seems like he was uncertain. It seems like he was sort of starting out on his journey and asking lots of questions about faith and and he's he's considering faith and and for Theophilus as a as a Greek in the first century uh, who having heard about the things that Jesus did he wasn't a he wasn't a, a, a he wasn't there when they happened. He wasn't an eyewitness to them, and neither was Luke. But Theophilus, uh, he trusts Luke, and he asks Luke, will you go and do some research for me? He probably 
paid a, a large amount of money for Luke to be able to go on his travels and do his research. He probably paid a, a large amount of money so that Luke could put together this work. Now let's get to know Luke just a little bit too. So why does he trust Luke? Well, he trusts Luke because Luke is an educated man, because Luke sort of is someone that he trusts is going to give a, a well thought out uh, um, report of what's happened. Uh, Luke is a, a trustworthy man to go out and do an investigation. Oh, now, Luke, Luke is that, that he was a well-known and, and well-respected physician. He was extremely educated for his day. He knew medicine. He knew about the body. He knew reality. And, and often Luke's medical side will show as he writes. He will sort of have like little tidbits of, of medical insight to the things that are happening. And, and he'll have a medical eye and he's paying attention as he writes about the different events and different things that happened and knowing Luke was an educated man an educated physician grounded in reality he was a doctor uh, that adds to me a little bit more interest and credibility when he records about some of the supernatural things when he when he tells about things like miracles or or or, or when he tells about things that are spiritual events or acts of God that would be things that don't normally happen. You could see Luke sort of uh, wrestling and, and he writes down what happened. And as a, as a physician, he's probably someone who would normally be skeptical, but because of the evidence, he, he ends up believing in it. And, and when he records things like a virgin birth leading up to the birth of Christ, or, or when he records things like the idea of Jesus, torture of his crucifixion and of his resurrection you could see a physician the doctor Luke as he as he records this uh, these events and, and and it would add to me credibility that you're not talking about someone who's just gonna buy into any old uh, story or myth or fable that comes his way you're talking about someone who's not going to be a push pushover but but he's gonna be someone who's going to uh, do his research and he's going to really uh, look into what was happening. And so not only that, but Luke was a traveler. He was a world traveler. He goes on this massive investigation on behalf of Theophilus that takes him all over the world. And he does it in order to write his books. He would hunt down the facts. He would hunt down eyewitnesses. He, he would get their take on what was happening. And we remember he wrote during the the time when the peers and the people who were around and the eyewitnesses who were at a lot of the events of the New Testament were there. And so Luke would go and track them down and he would talk to them and he would he would learn from them. And when Luke calls Theophilus most excellent, uh, he says most excellent Theophilus. Well, when he does that, uh, that sort of gives us the idea that Theophilus was probably a wealthy, a, an important, a successful man, uh, whether he was successful in business or he was successful as a, as a, a uh, a politician. Often when we see the words most excellent in the book of Acts, they're referring to politicians and governors and, and people with authority. And, and probably this most excellent Theophilus was the one underwriting the cost of all these travels that Luke was going on. And he was paying for his travel, paying, paying for his salary. He, he was paying for his expenses. And the way Luke mentions him at the beginning was sort of a common way to honor the person who was underwriting the project. Well, during his travels and during his research, Luke became a, a traveling companion of the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's mentioned a few times by the Apostle Paul in his letters. In Colossians, Paul mentions... Uh, mentions Luke saying Luke is the Luke the the beloved physician greets you they, they must have known him in the in the city of Colossae and in Philemon he calls Luke his fellow worker and near the end of Paul Paul's uh, ministry he writes to Timothy saying Luke alone is with me and some think that Luke may have been the physician who is working with Paul and helping Paul with all of his ailments and, and with all of his injuries that he 
acquired while he was preaching. But you can imagine Luke as he's traveling. You could imagine him as he's interviewing people to write the book of Luke, as he's interviewing people to, to, to write the book of Acts. And sometimes he is, he's even there at the events of the book of Acts as he travels with Paul. Uh, you could kind of pick up little tidbits where Luke will write the word we. He will say, we did this and we went here and we did that as he met up with Paul and he traveled with him. And, and, and you know, you look at the stories of the beginning of Jesus' life. You, you look at the story of the pregnancy of Elizabeth, who was the, John the Baptist's mother, the pregnancy of Mary, who was Jesus' mother. And uh, you look at those stories, you can almost imagine Luke traveling and Luke going and interviewing Mary as he gets her side of the story, interviewing Elizabeth, getting her side of the story, interviewing the priests who were present, interviewing the different people who were a part uh, of what was written in the book of Luke. And, and it sort of gives a new flavor as you read the book of Luke. This is something someone did a bunch of research, a bunch of interviews, and a ton of traveling in order to put together. And on top of that, Luke was a historian. You read through the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and you get the idea that this is a guy who is making sure he's putting history together in a way that it reads interestingly, in a way that it, it contains all the, all the necessary necessary uh, details for us to walk away with saying this is good history. You, you know the gospel and the story of, of Jesus and the story of the church in the book of Acts, they're not stories that begin once upon a time. They're not stories that, that kind of start out in a galaxy far, far away. No, Luke will ground everything he writes with the details of history, things that archaeologists and, and historians have gone back to look at and, and have said, wow, Luke was incredibly accurate in the way that he depicted history. He was incredibly accurate as a historian. Uh, I, I've always enjoyed history. Lately, I've been reading and listening to books on audio, on Audible uh, about history. I've gone through a bunch of them. Uh, Stephen Ambrose right now, I've been sort of on a Stephen Ambrose kick. And I've, uh, years ago, I read Band of Brothers and, and went through the book uh, Undaunted Courage about Lewis and Clark. And, and so recently, I listened to uh, the, the book about uh, uh, called Nothing Like It, which was the story about the men who built the transcontinental railroad. And, and then I listened to a book about Crazy Horse and Custer and, and that, that post-Civil War, that, that West Westward expansion time. Very interesting. I, I love listening to that kind of stuff. Uh, one of the things that you notice is that that writers like that include lots of details. They'll have letters that they'll read uh, from people that were at the events. They'll have, uh, they'll have, they'll read uh, tons and tons of documents and share with us some of them about things that happened. I mean, even during the Transcontinental Railroad book, Stephen Ambrose is quoting uh, orders that people made, how much bread they ordered, how much flour they ordered, how many spikes they ordered, and, and how much wood they ordered, and how they and it was interesting just to hear some of those old like receipts basically but it grounded what he was writing in real history and Luke does that uh, and and there have been people over time who were skeptical about Luke and skeptical about the truth of Luke uh, one good example is a man named Sir William Ramsey now Sir William Ramsey was a professor of classical art at Oxford University throughout his career he was knighted He's a very intelligent man. He was knighted for his service and his scholarship. He had three fellowships from Oxford, nine doctorates from British Continental and North American universities. He was an honorary member of just about every association devoted to archaeology and, and historical research in his day. And he was awarded medals for his work and his research. And, and I mean, if you wanted credentials as an archaeologist and a historian, this is the kind of guy 
guy that would have him. And, and uh, by the time of his death, he had become the foremost authority about the history of Asia Minor. Now, keep in mind, a lot of what Luke wrote about was in Asia Minor, and the New Testament events were in Asia Minor. And so at the beginning of his career, this fella doubted the accuracy and validity of the Bible, especially the a biblical account of Luke and the book of Acts. And he was against Luke, and he considered, uh, he said that Luke shouldn't be considered a historian, and he was convinced that, that uh, Luke was wrong about some things. But then in his own research, in his own studies about Asia Minor, he was convinced that Luke was right in the areas they didn't see eye to eye, and that Luke was actually a very, a very good historian. His studies in history convinced him that the New Testament was filled with accuracy, and he became not only an expert in, in, uh, in Asia Minor and in history, but he became an expert in the New Testament as well. And later, he would write this, that Luke is a historian of the first rank. Not merely are his facts trustworthy, but he is possessed of true historical sense. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. What a turnaround. What a turnaround for someone who who studies the truth and wants to know the truth. And he starts out skeptical. He starts out unsure and uneasy about Luke and about the gospel. But he ends up saying, you know what? The historian Luke said it out just right. Well, as an author, Luke is someone you can feel good about as you read his accounts. He brings us something that we can read with confidence, knowing that what we're reading is going to have been well-researched. It's something that's been well thought out, well put together, and that anyone who wants to love God, anyone who wants to know the, the historical story of Jesus and Jesus' birth and Jesus' life, his crucifixion, and the historical story of the beginning of the church can trust Luke and you can come to Luke and you feel you can feel good about believing that Jesus is Lord because he writes as someone you can have confidence in and someone who's a trustworthy source. He wants you to come to a place where you can have confidence in what you've been taught about Jesus as Lord. And I just want to spend a little time in that verse that we began with. The, the verse where he says, I've written to you, Theophilus, I've given you all kinds of information so that you can have confidence in the facts as they were given to you. You can have confidence in the truth of Jesus as Lord. Well, what are some things that that truth does for us? Well, let me share with you some thoughts. The first one is this, that that truth brings comfort. At least it, it should bring a, a level of comfort, knowing the truth of the gospel, knowing the truth of what Luke tells us, knowing the truth about Jesus as Lord. It should bring us some incredible comfort. Luke tells us that there have been all kinds of books that have been written about Jesus in other places. Uh, we, we see he writes that you could fill libraries and write endless books about the things that Jesus taught and did. And he refers to other books that have been written about him, books like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But Luke is on a mission. He's on a mission to do all this research, to talk to eyewitnesses of the events. He wants to travel the globe all for one reason, to bring the truth of God to one man to bring the truth of God to his friend, Theophilus. He, he says, I've carefully investigated all this stuff in, in that verse. He's, as he begins his book, I've carefully investigated. Now, Luke isn't interested in simply repeating what people are saying. He wants to carefully investigate it, bring it to Theophilus so Theophilus can have the facts. He, he says he's carefully investigated. The word here means that he's approached with uh, deliberately with strict leading towards accuracy that he has been very 
very careful from the very beginning, and he tells us about the the pregnancy, the prophecy of John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, and no room at the end. He tells us about the shepherds and the uh, angels, and he carefully investigated. Now, when I read that, I, I think of Luke, and, and he's going, and he's talking to the innkeeper, and he's taking notes. He, he's going, and he's finding and, and, and searching down these these shepherds who saw these angels and and he gets their take and he he researches and he goes and he he finds the 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 stable that Jesus was in he finds he finds the he finds all the details and he's just writing to us about what he has found. And he says, I've brought you an orderly account of it all. It's not some hodgepodge of hearsay. He's, he's put an order to it. He has an outline that he's following. He has investigated with an eye towards putting this all together so that it comes together in a way that makes sense in a way that reveals the truth to us. And, and when, when Luke uses the word certain here. He's telling us why he's writing what he writes. He's writing what he writes because he wants to give us certainty and faith in Jesus as Lord. Yes, it's faith, but it can be an educated faith. Yes, it's faith, but it's not a faith that can't be investigated. It's a faith where we can ask questions, where we can uncover the truth about it, where we can weigh the evidence. It's faith. Faith, it doesn't mean it's a wish or a it's a, just a blind hope. No, it's a faith that can be built on certainty. And, and so, so Luke goes on this quest. And make no mistake, we want to know the truth about Christ. Not so that we can be right. Not so that we can say, I told you so. Not so that we can prove ourselves into some position or, or, or put ourselves in a place above others. No, we want to know the truth of Christ because the truth of Christ as Lord, it brings a level of comfort to us that we can't find anywhere else. Because the truth of Christ comes with comfort and hope and confidence in the love of of God. The idea that God has this love for us, that God comes into the world as a person, and, and as that person, Jesus, we call him Lord. And when we think that God would have Luke go through all the trouble and all the research and all the travels and all the effort to do what he did so that he could help one man named Theophilus come to saving faith and have confidence in faith. That thought, it just blows my mind that God, yes, cares and loves for the whole world, that, that God cares and loves for our community, that God cares and loves for all those in the church, that God cares and loves for all those who are lost and wants everyone to come. But, but when it comes down to who God cares and loves, we can never forget that he loves every one of us individually in a special way. Just like he loved Theophilus. He loved Theophilus so much that he, there was, there was uh, no stone he wasn't going to turn over to help Theophilus come to saving faith. And he wants to do the same thing for you. And that should be an amazing, comforting thought that God will, will, will he won't hold anything back in order to reach out to you and, and to draw you to himself. He, he won't hold anything back in terms of his love for you. What a comforting thought that God loves me, that God wants me, that God cares for me. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, I have loved you. And you could almost hear him saying that to you. I have loved you. What a comforting thought. And the truth is, that's what it's all about. Knowing God loves you, knowing God loves me, that should bring me an incredible comfort. In fact, in the book of Philippians, 
the Apostle Paul will write to the Philippian church and he will encourage or challenge them to do some things based on uh, their faith and, and what they receive out of their faith. And, and in reading what I'm going to read, we can kind of see what he says our, our faith in Christ should do for us. He says, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any fellowship with the Spirit, if you have any tenderness and, and compassion, passion. And so he sort of, I think, tongue in cheek was saying, these are things you should have because you know Christ. And and one of the things that I really want to focus in on is he says, if, if you should have comfort from his love and he loves you. And I want to encourage you today as, as we're in this lesson to really let his love comfort you. I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you feel like God is far away. I don't know if you feel like you're unlovable. I don't know if you feel like maybe you haven't been loved. But I want to let you know that he loves you. And I'm really hoping that that, that, that sentence will bring you an incredible comfort. Well, Another thing that the truth of Jesus as Lord does for us is it, uh, it has a cost that comes with it. The truth of Jesus has a cost. There, there's a cost to following Jesus. Now, Jesus would often gather groups and he would preach and teach to them. He would perform miracles in front of them. And, and, and he, would, he, would, he would draw large groups. And, and the large groups would come. And, and often among those people who are in the large groups will be people who they want the benefits of all the things Jesus is talking about and offering, but they don't want any of the responsibility or the cost that goes with it and and he would attract them he would teach them and he would preach to them and then what he would do is he would start to add some difficult teachings which would start to weed some of them out and and often a lot of them would leave because they weren't willing to uh to live up or to the cost they, they weren't willing to 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 pay the cost for knowing Jesus as Lord or knowing the truth of Jesus as Lord. They wanted the benefits without the cost. And, uh, and in Luke chapter 14, we see one of those times. In Luke 14, this great crowd had gathered around him and he was finishing up a message about how God will invite everybody to come to this great banquet in heaven and and he wants us all to go to heaven and what a great message i mean why god wants us all in heaven right and and he does that's true and jesus would teach that but then what jesus did is he made the teaching hard because going to heaven means we need to make jesus our lord we need to serve him as lord we need to understand him as lord we need to yield to him as lord and and that can come with a cost. And so as Jesus gathers this crowd and he teaches them about heaven and about going to heaven, and then he says, listen, the thing is to get there, you need to worship me, to love me, to follow me even more than you would love your parents, your family, your children, even more than you would love anyone else in your life. You need to love me more. If you want to to be in this banquet in heaven. If you want to be in heaven with me, if you want the benefits of knowing me as Lord, there's a cost. You need to actually make me Lord, which means uh, you're, I'm, I'm Lord of your life, which means that uh, you put me first before everything. Well, then he taught that uh, if you can't carry your cross and, and even give up your own life to follow him, then, uh, th then you're not worthy of being his disciple or being his follower. And he taught that following him is a lifetime commitment. It's not something we just start but don't finish. And and he will tell some parables to illustrate it. First, he'll talk about a man who wants to build a tower and, and uh, he doesn't sit down and estimate the cost and consider the cost. Uh, instead, he just starts the tower, but then he lays a foundation and he's not able to finish the tower and everybody sort of laughs at him and, and they say this fellow began to build, but he wasn't able to finish. And we get the idea that Jesus is talking about someone who starts with him, but doesn't finish with him. And and he's saying, you, 
you need to be someone that considers the cost. Are you willing to follow me to make me Lord for the rest of your life? Are you willing to do that? And, and then in Luke uh, 14, 31 to 33, he, he tells another story. He says, suppose you're a king about to go to war against another king. Uh, will you not first sit down, consider whether you're able with 10,000 men to oppose the one who's coming against you with 20,000? You know, you're going to think about this thing. And, and if you're not able, you'll set a delegation. And, and while the other is a long way off, you'll come to terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who doesn't give up any everything you can't be my disciple and when he said that uh, people uh, people lost interest in following him they started to get discouraged about some of the teachings that he was teaching and the things that he was saying and then Jesus said hey when salt loses its saltiness it's worthless and so we get the idea that what he's saying is that following him it's not something we just decide to do one day and, and don't follow through. No, it's something we're told to consider the cost. We're, we're told to, to, to figure whether it's worth it or not. Now, for me, the idea of heaven on the other side of this life, no matter what it costs, uh, eternal life versus 80 years to 100 years of life, uh, eternal life compared with no sin compared to life in a world where there's brokenness and sin, eternal life where... Uh, where we get to be with God in in person and the one who created us and know our creator. I mean, there's there so many things that what Jesus has to offer outweigh in this life. And that's why I consider the cost worth it. And, and really the entire book of Luke and the entire book of Acts is one man considering the cost, Theophilus. And he decides that he's not going to spare any expense to find out the truth about Jesus. He's going to have Luke investigate it for him. He's going to pay for Luke to go on this trip and, and he's going to pay for Luke to find all the information and he's going to read it and he's going to consider it and he is really considering the cost and and remember Theophilus has a lot to lose I don't know if you thought about this but as a as a Greek man a Gentile in the first century who is investigating, possibly saying yes to Jesus, who is a politician uh, living or, or a successful business leader who's living in a time where Christians are persecuted, who's living in a time where Christians lose their jobs, lose their businesses, sometimes lose their life at a time where it's not a, a political benefit to be a Christian. In fact, he would probably lose his political influence and position. If he does, he's really he got a lot to lose so he's considering the cost and he's also considering uh, no expense too high to find out the truth about Jesus when I think of what Theophilus was doing here I think of the Proverbs that tell us that we ought to seek wisdom and and seek the truth no matter what the cost in, in Proverbs chapter 8 verse 11 it says for wisdom is worth is far more valuable than rubies Nothing you desire can compare with wisdom. In Proverbs 16, 16, it says, How much better to get wisdom than gold and good judgment than silver? In Ecclesiastes 7, verse 12, it says, Wisdom and money can get you almost anything, but only wisdom, excuse me, but only wisdom can save your life. How does wisdom save your life? Well, wisdom of following Jesus, calling him Lord, wisdom of, of discovering and, and uncovering the truth of the gospel. Uh, wisdom can give you eternal life if you say yes to him. That's the wisest thing you can do. The wisdom that fears God, the wisdom that turns to God, uh, th those are things that truly can save your life, not just in this life, but, but, but in the next. Um, in Proverbs 4, verse 6 to 7, it says this, Do not forsake wisdom, and she will protect you. Love her, and she will watch over you. Wisdom is supreme. Therefore, get wisdom. Though it cost all you have, get 
understanding. And you know, that verse was one of the verses that encouraged me to go to Bible college. Uh, I knew Bible college was going to be expensive. I knew I was going to have to spend a lot of money to, to get this education. I even knew that I was going to go get an education that was going to cost more per uh, more by the time I was done with it th than what I was going to make in my career. Uh, and, uh, and that's a hard decision to make. You know, you know you're, you're going into a profession that's, uh, you don't usually get too wealthy in this profession and it costs you a fortune. Well, it was worth doing to me because I said, I want to get wisdom. I want to understand the scriptures and the gospel. Uh, and, and even though it costs me everything, I'm going to go after what the truth is. And so that's what Theophilus is doing here. And I want to encourage you that uh, to remember that that it's worth it, the cost. It's worth it because it, it outweighs anything you might lose in this world. Following Jesus, calling him Lord, and, and receiving his grace and forgiveness and a new relationship with God and receiving eternal life, those are things that far outweigh anything else that you might gain by going another direction in this world. Uh, Jesus' point was that sitting at the banquet table in heaven is worth giving up everything to him as Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and, and you're sort of on the fence like Theophilus. Maybe you, there is something that you have that maybe you'll have to give up. Uh, maybe you'll have to repent from. Maybe the, the cost is something you're struggling with. And there's family members that don't want you to say yes to Jesus, don't want you to get baptized. There, there, there's people in your life that don't want to see you become a religious fanatic. Uh, there, there's people in your life that don't want to see you follow Jesus because maybe they feel like, if you do it, then it says something about them. I don't know why uh, people want to discourage other people from faith, but it happens. And, and, and so we're here and, and you're at a place where you're considering the cost. I want to encourage you, maybe push you over the fence just a little bit and just tell you the cost, whatever it costs, well, it's far outweighed by the benefits of knowing Jesus as Lord. And maybe you're here and, and you've been following Jesus as Lord, and you just need that little reminder that sometimes it's worth everything in this world to follow Jesus, that sometimes it's worth continuing to consider the cost, continuing to pay the cost. Or maybe you needed a reminder that, that you started like the guy who started the tower, or you started like the guy who went to battle and didn't consider the cost, or, or you're, you, you were once uh, became the salt of the, the earth, but you've kind of lost your saltiness. And, and maybe it's just a reminder for you to get back on track with, well, with knowing that the cost is worth it and to decide that you're all in and that you're not going to stop. You're not going to give up. You're going to continue to go to church. You're going to uh, continue to walk in faith. You're going to continue or maybe start back up and, and continue to consider the cost of following Jesus and calling him Lord worth it. Uh, but it does come at a cost. And, but the cost is so much worth it that, uh, that it's worth doing. So the, the next thought is this, that the truth of Jesus, it merits a response. It merits a response. You know, some people, they get to a place where, where maybe they're going to sort of passive aggressively just say, well, I, I, haven't, I haven't looked at all the evidence. I, I need to hear more. I need to think more on it. I, I need to, you know, I, I need to investigate it more. And they almost do that as a sort of an excuse saying, you know, I'm, I, don't, I just don't want to make a decision one way or the other. I, I'm going to keep sitting on the fence. I'm going to going to stay here. And, and, and that's not a good place to be because Jesus, by nature of who he is, almost demands that we go one way or the other with him. Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. There's no middle ground with me, he said. Now, now historically, we know some things about Jesus. There, these aren't things that are matters of faith. They're just 
matters of history. Historically, we can know a lot about Jesus, and, and uh, it's not really a question or a matter of belief. Well, there was a man born named Jesus. He was born uh, under unusual circumstances. There were some wild claims about a virgin birth and wild claims about a miraculous birth surrounding him, uh, and, and that he did teach that he was a Messiah, that he did teach that he was Lord, that he did teach that he was God in the flesh. That, that's a historical thing. That he taught that belief in him was the only way to go to heaven. That, that's a historical thing. That he taught that he was going to be crucified and raised from the dead. That's a historical thing. And, and, and that he was historically put on trial for those claims and for those beliefs and for those teachings. It's a historical thing. That he was published publicly tortured and publicly crucified and that he died and was buried. Th those are historical facts. And, and that Jesus, three days later, something happened that changed the scenario. Three days later, his disciples and believers and followers said he rose from the dead. And, and all kinds of people, whether they were disciples or believers or followers, began to see him for the next 40 days after he resurrected. Sometimes there were groups of one or two or three and sometimes there were groups of 500 at once who saw him, who heard from him, who were taught by him, who walked with him, had conversations with him after his resurrection, uh, at least supposed resurrection. Those are historical things that we can know. And, and something happened and a person is almost forced by the nature of what Jesus did, what he taught, who he was. Uh, we're almost forced to decide what do we believe about this? What do we know about this? How much of it is true and, and where can we fall? Now, some folks try to fall in sort of a gray area where they say, well, Jesus was maybe just a good teacher. Maybe he was one of many prophets that, that Jesus taught some good things. And, and they sort of want to leave it there, which, you know, it would be nice if we could. It would be a little more inclusive. The thing is that uh, what Jesus taught about being God, what Jesus taught about uh, if we don't worship him, we don't get to heaven, what Jesus taught about he's the only way to heaven, what Jesus taught about uh, his nature and how he could forgive sins, and, and what Jesus taught were things that, if they're not true, would actually make him not a good teacher, would make him a bad teacher, would make him a liar, would make him sort of a, a almost a wicked, a evil person, if that's uh, the case, if, if he taught things that weren't true. And uh, the other option is maybe he taught them and believed them and, uh, and he was just crazy. You, you see, if Jesus wasn't Lord, and we're going to talk more about this later on in the series, but if Jesus wasn't really the Lord that he claimed to be, uh, well, there are really only a couple of realistic options. One of them is he was uh, just a horrible, wicked, evil con artist and, and liar, you know, that, that somehow he was able to teach people and con people into the idea that he was God in the flesh who came to forgive sins, that if you believed in him, you'd have eternal life. And, and along the way, he conned them into believing that he was fulfilling all these uh, hundreds and hundreds of prophecies in the scriptures. And along the way, he conned them into believing in miracles that somehow he was able to trick them into, like walking on water, commanding wind and waves and nature and and uh, and healing leprosy and and making dead people raised from the dead during funerals and and even his own resurrection it was all a big con if it was not true and he knew it wasn't true that would make Jesus this incredible liar and and con artist and and if he's that then we ought to walk away from him it, it demands the response of of rejection uh, another option is that maybe he believed all 
this stuff and it wasn't true, which would make him incredibly crazy. You know, maybe he was just loony. He was a lunatic. He, he belonged in a, in a loony bin. He walked around saying, I'm God, kind of like the homeless guy, which Jesus, you know, he didn't have a home. And, and so in a way, he was like the homeless guy with the homeless band walking around telling people he was God. And someone doing that, you would say, man, you're just loony. You're just crazy. And uh, the problem with that one is what do you do with the miracles? Because usually lunatics don't walk on water, don't heal leprosy, uh, don't have the ability to raise dead people at a funeral and, and raise themselves and, uh, after having died. And, and, and usually uh, lunatics don't have these things, these abilities to do that. So, so if he was a lunatic and, and taught the things that he did, um, how do we explain the miracles? Well, if you believe he was a lunatic, then the only response is to walk away, to reject, to say a definite no. In fact, that's what a lot of people did with the teachings of Jesus. Uh, they decided that his teaching was too hard. His teaching was too difficult. And, and in fact, one time in John chapter 6, verse 60, it says, on hearing it, talking about one of the times Jesus was teaching one of those hard teachings, on hearing it, many of his disciples, even they were people who were following him up to then, they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? And then just a few later verses later, it says, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed followed him. Who Jesus is, it merits a response. You either believe in him uh, and you follow him or you decide to reject him and you don't. But there's no middle ground. We're not really allowed middle ground. Someday we're going to have to answer for what we what we decided about Jesus. Now, now another historical thing we know about Jesus is that uh, as a liar, as a lunatic, he at least was the most influential person on the planet. Uh, I mean, the world changed because of what Jesus taught. Uh, more people's lives have been affected by that one man than any other man in all of history. And, and so he was either really good as a, as a liar or, or just really fortunate as a lunatic. Or maybe we just look at the evidence and we look at what Luke's research tells us and we look at guys uh, who, uh, like, like really smart archaeologists and, and anthropologists look at the, the history and they say there's something to what Jesus taught and who Jesus was. That he really was not a lunatic, not a liar, but he was Lord. And if he's Lord, well, the only response is to follow him. To say, Lord, following you is worth any cost. You are willing to die for me. You are willing to show me the way, the truth, the life. You're willing to show me the path that leads to life. You're willing to let me claim your name so that I can become a child of God. I mean, the, the things that Jesus offered, if he was Lord, wow. No wonder we celebrate Every year we celebrate the coming of this Lord. Uh, now wonder, we say it's worth the cost to take a hold of everything he has to offer. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm grateful. I'm thankful that God wants to give us the opportunity, that God wants to give us the truth about Jesus in the book of Luke, the truth about Jesus in the New Testament and all of the scriptures. I'm so glad that God went through all the effort to make sure he gave us everything we needed to walk away with confidence in knowing that Jesus is Lord. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't ever said, you know what, I'm going to make a first time decision to believe in Jesus. Maybe you've been on the fence. Maybe you've been, you know, sort of saying, well, I just don't know enough. I want to encourage you to go on an investigation of your own. Maybe throughout the next several weeks leading up to Christmas, you're going to read through the book of Luke. 
I would encourage you, read what God has to say there. You know, get to hear from him what, the, what, what research and what evidence he found to say Jesus truly is Lord and, and you, you should follow him. Or maybe you've been on the fence and just hearing the, the, the few things that I've had to say today have helped you say, you know what, I'm ready to make that decision. I would love to help you do that. And I want to encourage you. I'm going to pray in just a little bit. And I want to encourage you to pray with me and invite him to be your Lord in your life. Or maybe you've just been reminded about, well, the idea that as Christians, as followers, we make him Lord. I want to invite you to pray with me also. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, uh, we come before you and we do acknowledge that you are the Lord. That the truth of Jesus is that you were the Lord who came to show us love. And the truth of Jesus and that love, it brings us this incredible comfort to know that, that you care about little old me. And that your thoughts and your heart are on little old me. God, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he's done for us. And God, there are some who are joining us this morning that want to make first-time decisions. I pray, God, that you would bring your forgiveness into our life. I pray, God, that you would bring your grace into our life. God, we know that we've fallen, that we are sinful people, that we need your forgiveness and your grace. And we just pray that you would bring that grace to us. We believe in Jesus. We want to receive everything he has to give. And we want to, after having considered the cost, we want to make a commitment to follow him and to make him our Lord. God, I pray that you will, that you will help us on this journey to know that you are our Lord, that you'll help us on this journey to, to really take a hold of the truth of Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All of us said together, amen. Hey, I want to encourage you too, if, if you made a decision to make a first-time decision to uh, follow Jesus, there's a place on your online connection card to mark down that you're making a first-time decision. If you're doing that, I would love to help you take your next steps as you take a hold of Jesus as your Lord. And I want to, I want to encourage you to fill out one of those connection cards. Let us know that uh, you made that decision. Uh, you can make other decisions there too, uh, some of you. Maybe you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, the Lord of your heart, but you have yet to obey him, to follow that decision up with baptism. I would love to help you do that too. And there's a place you could let us know about that on your connection card as well. I do want to encourage all of you, if you could find that link to a connection card, whether you're listening or you're watching, whatever platform you're on, that link is a great place for you to hit. And you could share with us prayer requests. You could share with us decisions and next steps and and you could also share with us just that you were here and I'm going to be honest with you it's incredibly encouraging to me when I get online connection cards it's just cool to see that you've joined us sometimes I get connection cards from people that are that are during there during the live broadcast on Facebook that's probably where a lot of our people are joining us online and then there's a group of you that that join us on, on YouTube and every once in a while I get connection cards from you and and then there's your the group of you that are on the uh, on the uh, podcast and Spotify and so I want to encourage you uh, hit those send them in to me I read them I, I love seeing them I, I pray for your prayer requests and and you could even just you know say hey uh, if you've never filled out a connection card uh, I would love to have you do it and just you know send me a, a personal message on the prayer request section uh, be interested just to hear from you uh, my favorite part is when I receive them from people that I've never met but you've been joining us and it's just encouraging to me to see that this teaching time is going out and blessing people and uh, and connecting with people so be sure to to send those to me uh, most of you who've done it you know that i also respond personally to you uh, when you do it so uh, please let me know how i can be praying for you and, and, and send me a message through the connection card link um, 
Well, let's move into a time where I just want to encourage you and say thank you for joining us uh, as we've gone through this teaching time. I want to enter into a place where we're going to be thinking about if you want to support uh, this ministry, this online teaching time. If you want to support Vernonia Church and the outreach that we're doing, uh, I want to encourage you to join us in giving. Now, every week in person church, we give, and it's a part of our worship. And I, am, I, I, I will talk about how we give as a part of worship. When we make Jesus Lord, He's not just Lord of our hearts, Lord of our religion, Lord of our, uh, our, our Lord and Savior, but He's Lord of our finances. He's Lord of all of our life. And one of the ways we yield to Him is we give back to Him out of what He's given to us. And I do it. It's a practice. It's a part of my worship of Jesus. And I believe it's a it's an obedient part of, of our worship. And, and some of you do it. And I want to say thank you to all of you who are doing it. And maybe you want to begin giving and being a part of Vernonia Church and, and, and being a part of the outreach, the online outreach of Vernonia Church. Uh, it's easy to do. You can go to www.vernonia.church at any time and click the Give tab. And you can set up giving there. And if you've never given, maybe you could start with a dollar a week, you know, just start giving a dollar a message. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's not bad. I mean, I guess you get what you pay for. <laughs> I hope not. I hope it's worth more than that to you. Um, but uh, but I, and I say that tongue in cheek, just being funny, but some people, they do it that way. And, and that's just an encouraging way. Uh, it's an encouraging thing to do, to think about. Uh, you could set up giving in any way, in any amount you want to give. And I want to say thank you to all of you who are giving. Your giving's making a difference and it matters, especially as we reach out to new people with this online teaching time. So you could always text to give also. And uh, the number for that, you could text the word give, that's G-I-V-E to 503-376-6646. And so uh, that's another way that you can give to to uh, be a part and support and worship Jesus and and support the the outreach of Redonia Church. One thing I want to invite you to do with me right now is I want to pray for the outreach of Redonia Church. I specifically want to pray for our online teaching time. I want to pray that this teaching time grows. I want to pray that it grows in influence, that it grows in helping people come to know Christ and come to a stronger saving faith. Uh, I want to pray that we're able to spread the message of the gospel through this teaching time. I mean, it's a simple thing. I get up here, I pray, I, I say welcome, I pray, I, I invite you to, uh, to, 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 to like and subscribe and all that and then we get into some some teaching time in the bible and and uh, and that's it i mean it's a pretty pretty simple thing but i feel like this is the gospel message we're sharing you know and and, and it's so important and it's so important for people to hear i want to pray that god will take it and use it and bless others with it and i want to invite you to pray with me as we do that father in heaven i pray that you will uh bless Vernonia Church. I pray that you'll bless this online teaching time and that you'll help us to uh, spread the message of the gospel, not only to our community, but also around the world and, 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 and on all over in the world of podcasts and YouTube and Facebook and God in this world that, I mean, I don't understand everything and how all this works, but you do. And I pray, Father, that you will continue to take these teachings and, and use them and expand their outreach and help people come to know a saving faith in Christ because of them. I pray, Father, that you will work through this time, that you will make a difference through this time. I pray for those who are joining us that this is this is a place they go to for hope and help. And I pray for those who are joining us who are on the verge of making decisions, that you'll help them make decisions to follow you and know you and that you will improve their lives, improve their stories, improve their family trees, and that you will bring eternal life to people through this little teaching time. God, I pray that you will just bless the work that we're doing here at Vernonia Church and that you will help us 
to love people. You'll help us to serve you and your purposes. And that, God, you will just, that you will go before these messages, that they will meet the right person at the right time with the right word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. All of us said together, amen. Well, once again, I want to say thank you for joining me. It's been a pleasure to begin this brand new teaching series. I'm looking forward to moving into the Christmas series, the Christmas season together. I know that we're jumping in early. I mean, it's not even Thanksgiving yet. I've never started a Christmas series before Thanksgiving, but uh, I had so many things I wanted to cover leading into it that, uh, that that I just decided to go ahead and do it. And yes, we're going to be thankful as we move into the Thanksgiving season, but but I want to just move our minds and move our hearts towards this Jesus we call Lord. Well, I want to finish up our our this our, our time together by declaring it's been a great day. Uh, I love to finish up this way every time. And so on the count of three, wherever you are, if you're in a place you can join us and do this, I'd love to invite you to do it. On the count of three, we're going to declare it's been a great day. One, two, three. It's been a great day. I hope you have a great day and I look forward to seeing you next Sunday.